Hello and welcome to the Free Movement Podcast. I'm CJ McKinney. The Tier 1 Investor Visa allows wealthy foreigners to live in the UK in return for an investment of £2 million in shares or bonds issued by British companies. Or at least it did until 4pm last Thursday, the 17th of February, when the Home Office suddenly closed the investor route to new applicants with immediate effect. So why did they do it? And what are the options now for high net worth individuals who want to take up residence in the UK? Joining me to discuss this are Sophie Barrett-Brown, Head of UK Practice at Laura Devine Solicitors, and Tazar El-Shema, Head of Private Wealth Immigration at Paintings Manchester Cooper. Welcome both. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, CJ. Sophie, just recap for the benefit of those who weren't glued to Twitter uh, last week, who weren't following this as closely, uh, what happened with the investor route? Uh, well, they were indeed quite remarkable events last week. Uh, so we had sort of late afternoon on, on Wednesday, the 16th of February, press reports starting to emerge that the tier one route was going to close uh, in the coming weeks was how it was being reported. Uh, and I think many of us were doubtful. We've we've heard some of these things before, haven't we? Um, Hazar, it's, it's certainly happened in the past. And then all of a sudden on Thursday, we had the Home Secretary tweeting I have closed the investor route with immediate effect. Uh, an announcement shortly appeared on the Home Office website. And then, only after all of that, did we get the statement of changes in the immigration rules at 4.04pm, uh, bringing the changes into effect four minutes beforehand, uh, all without the conventional 21 days notice. And indeed, let's remember, this is in a week when uh, Parliament was in recess. Um, so, yes, quite remarkable. Yeah, you mentioned we've had this before. I think it was the end of 2019. There were similar press reports. The route's about to be closed down and then nothing happened. And so I think when those press reports emerged, there might have been a sense of, well, you know, we'll believe it when we see it. But then very quickly, we had the announcement, we had the rules and it's, it was for real this time. And a lot of uh, firms immediately started m- mobilizing just in case and notifying clients. Uh, but even for, for firms who did, actually, for most applicants, there just wasn't enough time to, to get the applications in, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Absolutely. And the main reason that the Home Office gave for closing it down was they said, quote, long-standing concerns that the route has been vulnerable to exploitation by those seeking to transfer illicitly obtained wealth to the United Kingdom, end quote. And we'll come back to those concerns about illicitly obtained wealth and so on. But given that these are long-standing concerns, uh, that there's been talk and rumours about the route for many years, why did this have to be done immediately? Because as you say, normally you'd get at least 21 days notice. We got zero notice. Uh, And of course, there's a political context to to all of this. But the stated reasons were really around the concern that there would be, for want of a better expression, a closing down sale uh, of lots of people rushing to apply under the route, that there'd be a spike in applications. And indeed, as the Home Secretary said, that there would be applications from those who were most motivated to exploit, uh, kind of misuse the route. Um, those being individuals who who were seeking to bring illicit funds into the UK, uh, as she said, who may not meet the immigration rules, uh, or those who represented a security concern. Of course, my view, our view, I think of the view of many practitioners is that uh, it was absolutely not necessary and, and should not have been done for it to be brought in with immediate effect. Uh, and you know, in, in particular, I think in terms of those concerns, they could have been addressed in other ways. We have substantial tools in the immigration rules already. Of course, we have the um, 
part nine general grounds for refusal that deal with a, an enormous range of reasons for refusing applicants, including in relation to their character, conduct and associations. And then one specifically in the tier one category has the uh, the provisions to be able to refuse an application, even where all of the necessary documents are submitted, if there are concerns that uh, the, the applicant themselves has obtained the funds through means uh, that would be unlawful if they've transferred the money through means that in any jurisdiction through which it's been transferred is unlawful and indeed if the ultimate origin of the funds relates to a third party whose own character conduct and associations are such that it wouldn't be conducive to the public good to approve the application so the concerns that were raised uh, could have been addressed through the rules themselves rather than immediate closure. Yeah so what you're saying is if there were dodgy individuals dodgy money uh, making these applications including in the 21 day period between the, the closure being announced and coming into effect as would be normal then the home office could say no to those people in the individual cases absolutely Hazar, what do you reckon it was shameful really we had like you mentioned the dress rehearsal that we had previously with the uh, with the suspension of the route and then the u-turn over it and you know there there was talk of of this the closure uh, happening soon there was a an amendment to the uh, proposed by lord Wallace of Saltaire to the Nationality and Borders Bill, but that, even that gave a you know suggestion of two months at least notice period to be to be implemented. Uh, so it's you know closing the route like that with no notice to everybody. It still came as a big shock to us. Um, did people who were you know planning their relocation to the UK have what we term here the legitimate expectation? Yes, they did. You know, they 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 may have you know these people no criminal record, no um, you know question over the provenance of their funds, etc. They had legitimate expectation that if they meet the requirements, that they will get their visa. So you know they made plans. They maybe sold their house. Maybe they enrolled their children in schools and. And to sort of pull the rug from under them uh, for security concerns that have nothing to do with them is, you know, with no regard to their circumstances, shameful. So we know it's no longer possible to get a new investor visa, but what about people who are in the system already? If you've got a pending application, you applied a few weeks ago and your application's in the system, what what happens there? Do you get your, your investor visa or not? For those that made the application by before 4pm on the 17th of February, uh, their application made it, made it in. That does not mean that it's going to be granted because we go back to uh, that the Home Secretary always has the power to refuse an application. So yes, their application is in if they meet the requirements and there is no question on their uh, provenance of funds, their character, etc., then they can expect their visa to be granted. Okay, and as the same applies then to people who are already in the UK on an investor visa, can they stay and extend that visa and so on? So the change in the rules didn't just close it for new applicants. Yes, it did close it for new applicants, but it also put a timeline in place for shutting the route completely. So you do have now deadlines being introduced on uh, when can uh, applicants extend by. You know, so the last date that somebody can extend on this route is 16th of February 2026. So anyone that is in the route right now really needs to look at their circumstances and check whether they are en route to get the extension, get the indefinite leave to remain. I I would totally agree with that. There's there's that concern about the ultimate deadline and 
particularly in relation to indefinite leave to remain, those who will not be able to qualify for indefinite leave to remain, and that may, for example, be because of absences, as the nature of their lifestyle, often the case for these sort of internationally uh, sort of high-flying, high-net-worth types that with a very international lifestyle, sometimes, uh, and we have many of them as clients, you know, they've been investors for, uh, you know, a, a decade or two because they just extend and extend and extend, uh, some of them because of the, the travel, or, or sometimes indeed the English language requirement may, may be the reason why they haven't applied hitherto for indefinite leaves. Just just explain the absences if, if you're outside the UK for a certain number of days a year. For more than 180 days in any 12-month period calculated on a rolling basis now. Uh, and now indeed applying both to the main migrant and uh, dependent partner. Uh, so that may mean that for some people, even though they are already in the route, they may reach the end of the road with the route uh, and, and not actually be able to get over that hurdle of indefinitely even and need to look to um, to other routes. I think that the other thing that we've seen, as well as those sort of broad concerns around qualifying, is just the general anxiety of being um, characterised in, in very negative terms. I mean, it was presented in everything that the, the Home Secretary has stated and press coverage as if every investor is in some way a, a dodgy or a funnel for illegitimate cash. Uh, and so some of our clients now feel that, that they're all tarnished with the same brush and feel an unease about being known to be an investor, even though they are you know, entirely legitimate and have wealth through entirely appropriate legitimate means. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Is that, has, has that been your experience with your clients? Have people been getting in touch saying this this isn't a good vibe? Yes, they are. They're anxious. Even those that are already on the route, uh, they're anxious about you know what does this mean for them? Um, does it mean that also the, the route is closed for them? And you try and reassure them. You try and say no. This is uh, this the target here is not you. <laughs> so this is creating this this feeling of uncertainty. And you know, is this really what we want to do? You know, you Britain is coming out of uh, the pandemic. Additionally, post Brexit, we're trying to attract talent, trying to attract investors to the UK. UK, is this really the, the image we want to project to say that the laws, etc., are not certain? A lot of clients use this route because of the flexibility that it offers. It doesn't particularly tie them to a particular activity as most other routes do, and that's the attraction for many. So we have a lot of, for example, entertainers um, who, who use the route. We have um, a lot of international business people where they don't want to be tied to a specific business in the UK. They want to get involved in lots of different activities. And so it gives them the flexibility to do as much as they wish, or indeed as little as they wish in some cases. And uh, you know, these are all entirely legitimate applicants who I consider are bringing benefit to to the UK in the activities that they engage in the UK and and very little seems to be said about those those sort of positive migrants it's no harm to have wealthy people spending money in the UK you know there's sort of that trickle down economic benefit a lot of people send their children to schools here and that's all all good for the schools but it's been it's been controversial and we we should you know discuss the reasons we we've sort of touched on them in passing but like we mentioned these concerns about the provenance of the funds and so on what specifically have the concerns been over the years i think there are a number of issues around those concerns and there's a, there's a broader picture isn't there it, in my view it's not simply about tier one um there are concerns that uh, you know, entirely appropriate concerns around flows of funds into the UK and, and the sources of those funds. But that is not unique to the tier one investor route. <laughs> those who wish to bring in uh, illicit funds can do so through other immigration routes. Uh, uh, so it's not purely something to, to, to do with the investor as regards those broader concerns. In the context of the uh, the investor, I think one of the reasons why there's been more attention to it are, are sort of two things. One being the growth of investment-related 
immigration and citizenship schemes around the world and the f- international focus that that has brought to those schemes and and the UK. Uh, one might perhaps say that some of those schemes might be considered to be less rigorous than the than the UK's scheme. Yeah, so you, you, you hear a lot of in the press, don't you, about golden visas or golden passports and it's, you know, you can buy citizenship in Cyprus and here's this scheme that the UK has that if you squint hard enough, maybe looks like it's the same. Yes, and I suppose one can understand concerns about those routes where it's immediate access to citizenship for someone who doesn't really have any connection to the country uh, and and particularly if there is any concern around the due diligence um, of, of that route. But that is not the case for the UK programme. And as, as you've said, you know, it, it is a, it's about residence, it's not about citizenship. And they will, uh, an investor would need to meet the same criteria as everybody else in applying for citizenship uh, and, and spend a number of years in the UK to, to get to that point. Um, but I think really the problems and the controversy around the UK's investor programme uh, really stem from the time from 2008, as opposed to its earlier history, the changes that came about when it was made part of the points-based system. Uh, and that mainly surrounds the changes to the evidential requirements, because prior to that, it was really quite robust, uh, detailed evidence of the provenance of funds, uh, often really stretching back to investigate where the funds came from. Whereas from 2008, at that time, it was the money in your bank account for three months and and not, not investigating any further mm only having to show the source of those funds if it was held for less than three months. So, of course, most applicants could just wait three months to, to be able to avoid having to show the source of the funds, often for convenience, not because there was anything um, inappropriate about the source, but, sure, but that would sure. be the, a, a typical path. Uh, but that changed. So from two, four, 2014 onwards, we then have numerous changes to the immigration rules, including um, the requirement that they would demonstrate that they uh, had a UK bank account uh, and later on the requirement that that evidence also explicitly confirmed that full due diligence had been carried out by the bank and opening that account, uh, the requirement to have the money held for at least two years uh, or demonstrate source of funds. And actually, in many cases, uh, we'd often see the Home Office ask for additional evidence of source of funds anyway, particularly uh, more recently. Uh, and we talked earlier about those sort of general grounds of refusal type grounds that, that appear in the investor route around the origin uh, of the funds that were also introduced. Um, so far more rigorous uh, from 2014 to date and the various layers of changes that, that have been brought in. And and the, the Home Office mentioned that it's been reviewing the issue of investor visas and that review has been kind of nominally ongoing for, for years. It hasn't reported, but, but that focuses, doesn't it, on that period you've highlighted, 2008 to 2014, is seen as the problem period, not the last eight years. It it does, but that's telling itself, isn't it, in relation to the, the sort of sudden urgent action to close the route, because the period of concern that is being investigated is a historic period. Um, we've actually seen very little about there being concerns post that period. I mean, we should address the elephant in the room, obviously, as well, because we have these long standing concerns, historic, as you termed them, concerns about provenance of funds and, and where does the money come from and so on. Um, that was addressed. But you've got a much more specific issue, uh, which is Russian citizens using this route. And the Home Office did say, and I'm quoting from their documents closing the route, they say the association between the route and the movement of illicitly obtained wealth to the United Kingdom has been the subject of ongoing parliamentary and media scrutiny, including the Intelligence and Security Committee's Russia report from 2020. And, you know, last time the, the route was became acute 
particularly controversial was just after the Skripal poisonings by uh, seemingly Russian intelligence in the UK a few years ago. And this move to abolish the route with no notice came during this crisis over Ukraine that's now become a full-fledged war. So sort of separately to the money laundering type concerns, you have Russia specifically, that whenever Russia climbs up the political agenda, investor becomes uh, a particularly urgent issue. The Home Secretary can refuse a visa. You know, we're talking about an application here, ability to make an application, historic issues. And we have, as immigration lawyers, we have seen in the past the Home Office um, tighten and loosen restrictions where it sees abuse, you know, and more particularly for the student category, for example. We have seen that where if there is concerns in a particular area, suddenly the visa application center is shut while they look into it, while they investigate. So there there are means and ways of of dealing with the with the concerns over Russia, and we we still you know part of the student rules at the moment. There's a differential differential evidential sort of requirement for um, uh, certain nationals. So there are there are ways that you know the Home Secretary can introduce changes to the rules without everyone being impacted. Yeah, I I completely agree. And you know, statistically, the proportion of Russian applicants is vastly lower than it was in the period of concern, the the, the 2014 and before period. And it's it's the it's a proportionality issue as well, isn't it? You know, to affect all applicants based on uh, concern around a proportion of them when there are other tools to deal with those concerns. It seems wholly disproportionate to me. Now that it is closed down for everyone. The government does acknowledge that there's a bit of a gap in the visa code, as it were, because they're saying they will, to make up for this, expand the, a different category, the innovator visa, and they will uh, make more targeted provision for investment-related migration in the innovator route. And the Home Secretary uh, made a written statement about that just the other day, the 22nd of Feb. Hazar, just explain what the innovator visa is and what it has to do with residency by investment. Can I start by saying uh, it's not fit for purpose? (laughs) (laughs) That's an important general point. (laughs) Uh, It's replaced the tier one entrepreneur category. We had an entrepreneur category that was designed for uh, those wishing to, you know, the entrepreneur, the business person that wants to come in and set up a business in the UK. It's, you know, that route was closed. They introduced the innovator route. Again, abuse, et cetera, and, and wanting to reform the route. So they introduced the innovator route. That suddenly required, it, it was meant to target business people that are, again, looking to come and, and set up businesses in the UK. But it required that they first need to put their business plan before endorsing body. Um, and, you know, these are approved endorsing bodies by the Home Office. And, and once they get that endorsement, then they can apply and, and get their visa. But, you know, we asked and Sophie asked and other immigration lawyers, we've got these entrepreneurs that just do not fit into those narrow sort of uh, requirements of the innovator route. They are, you know, these are maybe global entrepreneur. They're not going to go cap in hand to endorsing body and say, please, can you approve my, uh, my business plan, uh, you know, so that I can set up a business in the UK. The investor route was the one that offered them that freedom that Sophie was talking about of being able to change, move businesses, etc., and uh, and invest in the UK. That does not uh, help them. So, what are the you mentioned the the Home Secretary 
made her statement on Monday, I think, and and sort of gave more flavor on what the reforms are going to be uh, to that route. So basically, uh, what was in the statement is that this will now be targeted to uh, business angel investors that have a track record for, you know, founding and inventing, investing in innovative businesses uh, overseas. So again, you still have to show uh, level of funds. Uh, the idea is that there'll be job creation in the UK. So similar to what the Innovator visa is now, but making room for angel investors. Right. So it sounds like a tweak to the Innovator route rather than something that will be a meaningful replacement to investor. Is that fair? Exactly. And the worry is that this is supposed to be in the autumn and the plans and uh, the reform to the endorsing bodies does not sound like this is that can happen that quickly uh, in the autumn. So we are going to have a gap for a longer period, I think, than than uh, what is promised. And it also doesn't address who the clients are, you know, our clients being able to come under that because we don't just, the investor route is not just for those that are the angel investors, uh, as Sophie mentioned before. So a thumbs down uh, from you, Sophie. What do you reckon about this idea of uh, amending the innovator route? I think the key uh, mistake, dare I say, with the innovator is it was sort of rushed through. It it wasn't really properly considered, but they did not involve, uh, certainly they didn't involve practitioners. uh, And many of the problems with that route could have been avoided if there had been engagement. So my, my main concern is that whatever may be due to come out in the autumn, that adequate effort is made to engage relevant parties, including expert practitioners, so we can help to feed into something that is fit for purpose. And not to turn this into a discussion about innovator, uh, but I think, you know, in relation to that problem of the endorsing bodies, um, we have endorsing bodies in other categories like global talent, and that works just fine because those, in, in the sense that those endorsing bodies are um, the official bodies for that sector, you know, they're the arts council for the arts sector. They, so they have credibility as um, as bodies, objectivity, and it's very clear what their criteria are. Um, that is not the case for endorsing bodies in the context of Innovator. They are commercial organisations, some of them very small commercial organisations. They are mostly a very closed shop where they're, how they assess um, applications or how you access being able to apply to them is, is unclear. So there's a lack of consistency. And they generally require something in in exchange for that endorsement. They're not allowed to charge a fee to give the endorsement, but in effect they do. They usually want equity in the person's business um, or they will provide a sort of mentoring type service alongside it for which they'll charge a fee. And for those um, very significant uh, business individuals, they do not want to cede any of the uh, equity in the company and they certainly don't need a mentor, thanks. Uh, So, I think the changes that are being made in terms of the angel investor route, you know, yes, that sounds good. That's going to address some of our concerns about Innovator, but it's not going to address the rest of our concerns about Innovator. And as Hazar says, it still leaves that gaping chasm for the the other types of, uh, let's call them positive individuals who who could come into the UK in the Innovator, sorry, in the investor route. So let's see. Let's see. And I mean, given what you've said about that remaining gap, sounds like the long-term impact of all this is that there it will be much more difficult for the kind of very successful business people the high net worth individuals and so on to come to live in the uk uh in future i mean there are there any other options if innovator isn't very good no there there are lots of options um whether they are the most suitable for the 
the applicant circumstances, um, I think, is, is is often the question. And actually, often for these very um, wealthy individuals, uh, yes, there's a very big spectrum of them, but they're often highly educated. They're often successful business people or successful in w- whatever their sector is. So there are often other routes. Um, one has just to name a few, we've got the skilled worker route. We've already been using that widely for high net worth individuals because of the loss of the entrepreneur route. Many would be um, skilled workers in, in effectively their own businesses. And the global talent route, uh, that it, it, uh, suits a narrower pool because of the nature of it, but it is more flexible than something like the skilled worker uh, in what they are able to do or how much they are required to do. Mm. Uh, we have the sole representative. There's going to be a, a smaller group again that that will be appropriate for because they can't have majority ownership in the in the business and, and, and many others. So there are other routes. It's just that they're not really the best fit for many of these applicants and don't give them the freedom to do all of the things that they would uh, would like to do. Okay, that, that's interesting. I suppose that's why you're the head of UK practice at a successful law firm is because you don't throw, throw up your hands in despair and say there's nothing we can do. At all. We never throw up our hands in despair, do we? So there's always a way. No, no, it's, there's always a way. It, it, immigration's like a balloon. Uh, you know, you squeeze one end and it, it pops up somewhere else. You know, if they are legitimate individuals, there is usually an appropriate route uh, for them. It's, it's finding the best match that works. Do you hear, don't you, that the kind of people who might come to the UK under the investor route have lots of options. They could go to other countries and spend their money in and uh, so on there. The, the signal perhaps that it sends might put such people off in future, even if there would be another uh, immigration route for them. The manner in which this has been done fundamentally undermines confidence in the system. And in the UK, it's one of the things that we hear often from applicants, one of the things that attracts them to the UK is, you know, the rule of law and and uh, how things are done in the UK. In contrast, often to to the countries from which they they are coming, and and this really shakes confidence that the law can be changed in this manner with no notice. Well, on that uh, cheerful note, we must. I thought we were doing well by ending on <laughs> the on how there's always work around, but uh, inevitably with the UK immigration system, there is a, a sting the tail. And um, we'll leave it there. Thank you both. That was Sophie Bart Brown from Lord Vine and Hazar Al Shama from Hankton's Manchester Cooper. I'm CJ McKinney. This has been a podcast from Free Movement. We do updates, commentary, training, and advice on UK immigration and asylum law. www.freemovement.org.uk. Lots of free material on the website. Lots more if you join as a paying member. I'll be back with the next episode of this podcast with Colin Yeo on Friday the 11th of March. Until then, thanks for listening.